Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And we're going to have a, a heavy football episode as the very successful 11 and 2 2018 campaign came to a close on Monday in Annapolis, Maryland at the Military Bowl. There's been a little bit of drama since then, but nothing too major. We'll hit on that with uh, West Virginia's interest in Cincinnati head coach Luke Fickle. Uh, and plenty more as we maybe even start to take a look ahead at uh, spring practice, which is, you know, just a couple months away now. And the uh, that would be the official, you know, kickoff of the 2019 season. Uh, first off, welcome back to Taft's Brewporium, Taft's Ale House, as a sponsor of the BCJ Podcast. They are back on for January. We are looking to set up uh, a watch party uh, for Taft's in January. I'm thinking uh, the Wichita State game, Dave. Is that on Saturday? Uh, sure. Finger, the road, road game at Wichita State, I believe, is... <laughs> On the it might be a Sunday. No, uh, Saturday um, the nineteenth at two p.m. Awesome. So, so let me know if that works out for you guys. Uh, they they love having the Bearcat Journal watch parties. It has been very lucrative for Taft's uh, Brewporium. So uh, we're we're thinking about aiming for that one to uh, to get back to Taft's and uh, have a good time, watch the basketball game. Are you allowed to go watch basketball games with p- other people? Or do you have to stay home for those two? Uh, it, it, basketball is more opponent-driven. Okay. Um, you know, like how I'm superstitious about t- looking at Twitter during games when you're, uh, you know, seal-clubbing Tulane in the second half. <laughs> I get on Twitter and make some funny comments and whatnot. So, I, yeah, I'll probably be there with Test State's garbage. Greg Marshall's, you know, he's got one good player, so we should go in there and steamroll them. So, yeah, I can probably make an appearance. Let me know in the thread uh, on the board what you guys think about a watch party for the 19th, 2 p.m. against Wichita State. Um, We've had a lot of fun with the football ones. I think basketball could be a good time as well. So just let me know. Um, But let's get going, Dave. Uh, First off, West Virginia – had an opening. Dana Holgerson left the Mountaineers for Houston. Um, immediately, Cincinnati's Luke Fickle became one of the primary names talked about. Um, knowing the background, Dave, that's not a surprise. No, not a surprise. I still do kind of laugh how his name comes up just because it's almost gotten to the point of Oh, let's look and see what G5 team had a really good year. Yeah. And, yeah, we'll, we'll pick their coach without well, doing any background and, you know, talking to people is even interested. You know, it's, just, it's, it's what it is. And, unfortunately, you know, you don't want to, like, talk down to our fan base and tell them they shouldn't get nervous, shouldn't get angry, you know, whatever your emotion is, that's what it is. But like I said in the board, that is the college football reality for UC right now. When you're bringing in $2 million roughly a year from your TV contract and every other Power 5 team, whether they're Ohio State or they're Rutgers, is bringing in 30-plus, you're susceptible to these type of situations anytime you have a successful season. It doesn't matter if it's one year now. Usually it used to be like, well, you know, maybe it was just a flash in the pan. Uh, you know, let's see how they do in their second and maybe even third year anymore. It doesn't even matter. Like they're going after good up and coming coaches after showing any amount of success. Well, and, I, I would, I would I'll, I'll cut you off a little bit. I, I would say a lot of it also, Luke Fickle's been around a long time. Like, he's a name that, no, in, that that's in his known case, and respected. Absolutely. In his case, yes, absolutely. But it's it's not quite to the point of where college basketball is, where 
it's like you make one sweet 16 as a mid-major and like everybody wants to hire you, but they forget yeah. about like the six other years when you were at that school that you didn't make the tournament. Um, but yes, he, and especially with some of the jobs that opened Louisville, West Virginia, there's obviously regional ties. And then with West Virginia, there's obviously a uh, administrative connection to their president, Gordon Gee, and to Luke when he was at Ohio State. So yes, in that sense, it makes sense. My whole thing is like, you're just put. They're just putting names out. Like, did, did anyone talk to Luke? Did anyone talk to his representation? Does anyone even know if he has representation? Like, you just fire out a list with Luke Fickle because he went eleven and two, and and that's that's the guy. Yeah, that that part is annoying because the the the, the national narrative is well, he can't possibly stay at Cincinnati, which no, I mean it's I think it's I think it's a bit lazy. But that said, if there's a coaching search at Cincinnati, we're doing the same with the best Mac coach and the best. Oh, I mean, of course. That's, that's it's a trickle down. Yeah, it's a trickle down. So I, I can't get too mad at it from our end when our natural reaction is to do the same thing. Um, I, I don't I, get mad. I just think it's, no. it's funny. And with some of these guys, I know it's lazy. Like, yes. I know they're just, they just have a, a regurgitated list of, you know, oh, mid to upper P5 job opens. Let's, uh, who we got this year at Boise, you know, Cincinnati, Houston, Memphis. Like, it's just like copy and paste. Yeah. Um, this one was different, though, uh, in that, like you mentioned, Gordon Gee was at Ohio State. He was the president in Ohio State when the Trestle stuff went down and, and Fickle was elevated to head coach for a year. That was basically his decision. Um, the two worked together for a long time. Uh, there, there very much was a relationship there. It very much makes sense that if there's an opening at West Virginia, that Gordon Gee is going to want to talk to Luke Fickle. That is a no-brainer. I mean, you know that that's going to be the case. And in return, Luke Fickle is going to have enough respect and have enough um common courtesy that he's going to listen to what Gordon Gee has to say. That that doesn't necessarily mean uh, there's a high level of interest. That doesn't mean he's holding Cincinnati ransom. I will get to that in a moment. Um, but what it means is somebody that, that you know, it, it, it's akin to somebody early in your professional life that, that had a big hand in helping you uh, when you were younger and, and climbing the ladder and 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 then they come back later and you've moved on and they've moved on and, and they have a job opening. Uh, you might be happy at your job, but they had a big part in your life. So guess what? You're going to listen to what they have to say. And, and that's what happened yesterday. I will once again confirm um, that I've gotten a lot of pushback on this. I, I know it for 100% fact. The meeting was not Wednesday night. The meeting was Thursday um, that, that Luke Fickle talked to West Virginia. And... Um, he heard what they had to say. He communicated with people at the University of Cincinnati. Um, from my understanding, Dave, there were no contract demands. Um, the The administration at Cincinnati had already stepped up in some ways uh, to, to continue to support the program going forward, uh, especially in terms of, of a boost in assistant salaries and things like that. Um, and at the end of the day, Luke Fickle decided he wanted to, to stay at Cincinnati. There, there was no uh, being held hostage and using leverage. Well, if you don't do this, 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 and this, I'm going to take the other job. What it was, Dave, was we're two years in. Are we all on the same page uh, on where we can take Cincinnati football, especially after being two years in and shockingly going 11-2? and two. Um, He wanted to make sure everybody – that was, uh, you know, above him in the food chain, AD, president, whatever the case may be, uh, that everybody was was all in on the future of the Cincinnati football program when the answer to that question was yes. Luke Fickle decided last night that he was going to stay the Cincinnati football coach. That's where, uh, when I when I got word of that, that's why I made the post on the message board that I did. You can believe whatever version of the story that you'd like to believe. I know there was... A lot of stuff that came out on the West Virginia side today that uh, it took a lot of restraint 
for me not to uh, make a scene on Twitter. <laughs> but I did not do that because I didn't think it was necessary uh, in the grand scheme of things. It's going to be a long-forgotten memory by tomorrow. So take all that information for what you will. Um, Luke Fickle is very happy here at the University of Cincinnati. Like I said, he did not did not have a list of demands. He did not hold anyone hostage. Uh, this was not a situation. And I, I think it's, it's, it's a different situation, too. He didn't go to Morgantown. They came here, and they met with him here and, and on his home turf. That's not going to a place and getting the, the tour of the facilities and hiding behind a, a, a cart of dishes <laughs> when there's pictures hotel, being hotel taken pan. of you. A hotel pan. Um, this was professional courtesy. You wanted to talk. I will listen to you talk. I will, you know, take everything into consideration. I will talk to the people that are here at, at the job that I'm at. And ultimately, I feel like the job that I'm at is where I want to be going forward. Uh, that's what went down. I, I don't even think we need to spend a whole lot of time on it because it was pretty cut and dry. Like, the, the, the reason we were quiet on things is because things weren't, things weren't spent spiraling out of control. There wasn't anything well, that next- was a concern. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I don't want to say it was a favor because it wasn't a, he doesn't owe, no. doesn't really owe them anything, but it was, it was a, it was a courtesy because if you, if you just compare it to Louisville and I don't even know how necessarily far that even got, but we know that they had interest. And My understanding for Louisville was, would you be interesting and interested in talking? And the answer was no. Right, so he shut that down right away. And I'm led to believe, and this might just be my only personal opinion, is that if if Gordon Gee wasn't involved, it would have been the same situation. I believe that to be correct. As a a courtesy, and maybe a courtesy to some other people that he's looked up to or been, (laughs) you know, in, in his past career, you know, like I said, it's not saying doing a favor, but hey, they're interested. Would you at, would you at least sit down and listen to what they have to present? And you know, I th- I don't find any fault in that. I think, you know, I think we get too attached sometimes to our coach. You know, like who's you? How dare you come after our coach? Right. But it's like, if it was you, there's no. I mean, why would you not at least listen? And why would you I mean, not use it mean, to at least check with your, your superiors adva- and say? Well, to your advantage, too. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, you could use it to your advantage. You could see, well, man, I didn't really know that I was this thought of. Like, they're willing to go well above and beyond what I expected. And I wasn't planning on using this as, like, a bargaining chip. But, I mean, at this point, I kind of have to. Like, you just never know. Like, just shutting – like people thinking that we should just shut it down and it's, and you know, it's never going to happen. That it's, and I feel like our fans did a much better job, you know, kind of under have started to do a much better job understanding that. I mean, look around the country and especially in the AAC outside of, I mean, what five programs, 10 at the most, nobody is, you know, like untouchable. People are leaving whether it's to the NFL, whether it's to bigger jobs, you know, you're not, we don't have those situations anymore where, you know, outside of Nick Saban and maybe a couple others, you're not going to have the Joe Paternos, the Bobby Batten, the Frank Beamer. Those type of situations are not happening anymore. No. So you, you understand that and you hope, like, I don't want, I think he's doing a very good job. I obviously don't want a bunch of people coming after him. But at the same time, given the current landscape and given what we know, if people are coming after your coach and you're at UC, that means you're winning. Like, well, counter, uh, counteract that to two years ago. Right. Here's three the other years thing. ago. Like, go ahead. No, I'm fine. I'm good. I, I just I, think about how much we think of Luke Fickle and who he is as a person. And what he stands for. And and what his program has been about. 
and what the guys in his program think of him and, and that belief they have of him, guess what? Everybody around the country knows that. That's that's not a secret to us because he's been no, in, like- he's been in the business for 20-plus years. Everybody in the game knows that. So that's just part of it. Like every year that he's at Cincinnati, when we get to the silly season, Luke Fickle's name is going to come up. When he leaves, whether he leaves, whatever, that we'll handle those situations as they come up. But there's nothing you can do to avoid that because there's nothing you can say that's going to turn other people off. You know what? There's no skeletons in the closet. There's no strikes against him. There's no character concerns. There, there's nothing. There is really good football coach, really well-respected football coach across the country, has had a, a fantastic career as a coordinator and, and now as a head coach. People are going to be interested in him. It, it's going to happen. So I'm going to end it with that because that's where we're at. Like, There's no getting away from that. And if he's going to be successful here, and I think he's going to be very successful here, because we'll talk about this later in the podcast. This roster is stacked right now. You know, it is what it is. Like, that, yeah, that... I mean, you win as many games as you can, and if someone comes along and offers him something that he can't refuse, then it's upon your administration to make another great hire. And if you're winning, that means you have good players. That means things are progressing, and that means. Other up-and-coming coaches who were in Luke's position, who were in Brian Kelly's position, they want your job. Right. And that's all you can, that's all you can ask for is that if your job becomes available, that, that good candidates want your job. And I feel like that's what's going to happen. I mean, you see has changed the trajectory of their football program over the last 20 years on that premise. Win as many games as you can. Do the best you can to keep your coaches if you can't keep them, then make another great hire because you've done well and attractive candidates will want to come coach there because they see where Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, Butch Jones, they see where they were able to go from coaching at UC. Right. Uh, military Bowl. That was fun, brother. That was fun. It was yeah, wet. It's, uh, Cold. Considering some of the – games we've we've watched this bowl season i you know <laughs> i was obviously you want to win but i mean i've always thought that you know from a fan perspective bowls are fun but you, know, you want to send your seniors out it definitely feels good to cap up 11 and 2 season but yeah i mean it was definitely one of the better games of the bowl season that's for sure most places have had it as the number two bowl game of the bowl season <laughs> pretty awesome uh, pretty fun to be a part yeah, of. Behind, um, behind Clemson, Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, I think most have had it. That, behind was, that was a good one. Wake in Memphis. Um, <laughs> Memphis has gotten real good at yeah. kicking the crap out of people and then losing the game in the second half. <laughs> um, for me especially, and this has been mentioned on the board a couple times, and it really is fascinating. Have you ever seen a senior class where every senior had a big role? Oh, I know. It's, the, the, I mean, they've it's, all, not, it's I, not big in numbers, but every senior, all the way down to Hayden Moore coming back from the dead in his last game as a Bearcat and orchestrating a win, every senior in that senior class that was healthy had a giant role in the success of this team. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's that's what you want to see, obviously, when you bring kids in and – you know, and my takeaway was there's obviously two takeaways. One, I was really bummed to see Des get hurt. I'm sure everybody was just because it seemed like he looked good to start. He had him. He did. He looked good, and I felt like with the conditions and the way that they were, it you know his running ability, which come to find out Hayden's running ability was what you know kind of kept them in the game, and then it obviously uh, you know won them the game. But yeah, my two, just the two things were Des getting hurt on the bad side, but then Hayden coming in and and doing everything that you needed your backup quarterback to do to give you a shot to win. And you know, I think it was a, it was a kind of a microcosm of his entire career. You know, he played well for the most part, 
through, you know, an interception where he totally didn't see the linebacker, but at the same time, made a touchdown he, saving tackle. He, saving tackle, exactly. <laughs> they didn't get any points on that drive. And you know, that right there could have been, you know, obviously could have been the difference of the game and then he takes him down when they're down down 3 or whatever it was and game winning drive and so yeah, I mean from a from a season ending standpoint, it was a it was a great game to end the year on. Mike Warren's fun to watch, especially he got popped and it it looked like he was dead for a minute. I don't know how that's not targeting. <laughs> I don't know how launching yourself into a defenseless receiver is not targeting. But well, I guess you I guess you can two-hand you know, if even though they're defenseless, I guess if you just two-hand shove them, yeah. It's not it's not um, targeting, so who knows? <laughs> but it actually ended up being a good thing because he ran as pissed off as I've seen him run all year when he came back after that. I mean, he was fired up when he came back in the game and ripped off a 25, 30-yard run uh, in the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, he just flat-out dominated Virginia Tech. And, and there was no more fun time watching Mike Warren than what we saw uh, it, it, the second half of that third quarter and the fourth quarter uh, of the Military Bowl because he was on his A game. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he definitely, you know, and that's the thing with just his running style is, you know, for the, you, know you can kind of slow him down, but then as the game goes on and, and you get tired, he busts those, you know, 20, 25, 30-yard runs that, you know, really are, are back-breaking type of plays. And, you know, that's the, that's the hope when you have a running-style offense is that it's a, you know, you can have an Oregon-style running attack when Chip Kelly was there, which they ran the ball more than they threw it, but it was like, you know, speed and big play and things like that. Or you can have what UC is doing, which is just a, a punishing effect where eventually you're just going to submit because I mean, there were times late in the fourth in the fourth quarter. I mean, he defensive lineman trying to hang on, you know, breaking tackles, and that's just kind of the cumulative effect of what they do. And that's where like a Charles McClellan is such a great change of pace, is because you wear a team down and then you hit him with with speed. And and so you know, it's, yeah, it's a very uh, very interesting situation they have on their hands going the next year with what they they could have in the backfield. Has, of this of this entire group of seniors, and this could go back for a while too. Has there been a guy that senior season was underappreciated as much as Malik Clemens? Fifteen tackles in yeah, the bowl game. Were... He's the team leader in tackles on the season. He had a hell of a senior season and didn't get a whole lot of talk. No, I mean he was just very very solid all year. There weren't a ton. I mean he had the the sack fumble against Navy. And um, the what did he, I think he had this kind of the sack strip in the bowl game, right? I mean, yeah, was that, yeah, that was him, Brian Wright. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It was. I think it was more just because there wasn't a ton of you know splash plays, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, he was. He definitely uh, acclimated himself to that role big time, and you know it'll be interesting to see who they're able to to kind of groom to take that spot on because it has ended up becoming a quite a big role for that defense and this guy might end up leaving as my favorite bearcat in cincinnati history especially if he continues to keep ending games with interceptions but i've never seen anything like what james wiggins did this year three interceptions it's, to it's, end games. Pretty, it's unbelievable it's full cool. it's pretty wild and especially like you know, if we're being truly honest, like the defense didn't really play that well against Virginia Tech, especially no. against the run. Um, like he played in the second half, obviously after the the targeting suspension. I'm I watched the game pretty close. I'm not sure he did a damn thing until that interception. Um, you might be right, but it's like you know, games on the line. They're gonna, they're gonna you know, he he obviously read that play great. I'm. Kind of surprised with how poorly I thought the game was officiated that they didn't call a pass interference call on Kobe Bryant. But hey, but he read the play and you know made the play, and that's the biggest thing is you can know 
what's going on, but you still have to be able to execute it. And, you know, he made that play. I still think the SMU play, you know, that's a play too that Malik Clemens had a lot to do with, with causing the pump fake. Right. Um, but he knew where he knew, you know, after that game, we talked about knowing how, where the way that the receiver, James Crochet was lined up. He knew that he was going to be going inside or, go, or you know, across the field. Um, so he shaded and, and knew that, you know, where the sticks were and that he had a chance to jump that route. So it's not just, you know, using your freak athleticism. I mean, there's a lot of football smarts in understanding those plays as well. Well, and another one, a big one that I talked to him about in the, uh, the post game video um, by the locker room after the game was the offensive pass interference that wiped out a first down and forced Virginia tech into third and long right before the game winning drive, right before Mike Warren's final touchdown um, if you watch that play, they were lined up one way and Wiggins stepped in and completely changed all the assignments and he knew exactly what they were going to do and he got the pick. They called it through the flag like his. That's one thing that's kind of surprised me about him this year because his athleticism is so good. I, I think it gets undervalued how smart he is. Um, in knowing and, and and picking things up, understanding what they're trying to do, understanding what the route concept is, uh, and understanding in his free safety role uh, how to make plays, and he did it there. You know, he, he was 100% responsible for getting that offensive pass interference that set them back, led to a punt uh, that, that set up good field position in the game-winning score. Um, man, he's fun. I, I hope next year is not our last year with him probably gonna be because he's that good I, I hope it is because i hope he gets dra- yeah. pro and gets drafted and makes a crap ton of money i do too but i, I like watching him in red and black man I, it's just <laughs> ending they, they played 13 games he ended three of them that's unbelievable yeah. he clinched wins and not three tight games that could have gone either way and James Wiggins steps in and makes the play in all three of them to give Cincinnati the win. That's just you don't you don't normally use clutch with a free safety, like that's a, a quarterback term or a running. You don't, back term. But I mean, you don't even really hardly ever use clutch with a football player right. because so much of it is dependent on other people. Yeah, he just, I mean, he just you can know exactly what you need to do and be on your way to doing it, but someone does something they're not supposed to or, and it messes everything up. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, you know, had a impressive, impressive season. Um, Ty Van Fossen, heck of a play to break up a pass uh, late in the game in the end zone right after the Hayden Moore interception. Uh, Virginia Tech did the smart thing there, Dave. They went right after a guy that hadn't played a snap all season. And Van Van Fossen covers the tight end into the end zone, gets his hand up, breaks up the pass. Uh, that was a huge play. Trent Cloud, the the the, the two number thirteens, uh, two freshmen. Trent Cloud makes a big play um, on third and eight. Uh, what he had three catches on the game. He had two all year. Um, a lot of guys stepped up. It was just uh, it's a good time. I wish it, of course, the next day, Dave, New Year's Day in Annapolis, 60 degrees and sun and, and partly cloudy. Oh, well, yeah. Makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> what what else you got from the Military Bowl? Anything else you want to talk about? You want to spend some time on, on Hayden or? Uh, no, I mean, I think, you know, I think we kind of capped it off and, you know, everybody, you know, I just think there was a, it was a really, really good way to end a pretty, I'm not going to say remarkable. I mean, I think remarkable is, should be withheld for, you know, things like national championships and stuff like that. But, you know, about as unexpected and, you know, in reality, about as good as you really could have ever, ever envisioned. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, let's turn the focus. Luke Fickle's going to be here. And 
it's time to to i know they've already started working on getting the schedule put together for spring football um i did a little exercise uh on the board as we were driving back from maryland uh the wife was was on the wheel which is a dangerous proposition uh so to keep my mind at ease uh i looked at the potential first team for next year let's go over this quarterback desmond ritter easy call I think there will be a competition with Ben Bryant. But I think after this season, Ben Bryant would have to be brilliant to beat out Desmond Ritter for the starting job. That's not to say he won't be, but it's going to be a tall task. Would you agree with that? Yes, and I think that there should should be competition now because I think that's what the program has been kind of rebuilt on is – competition in and out that doesn't mean that it's that Des isn't starting the competition at the 50 yard line right um but but we know Ben has talent and Ben should go into it thinking yeah Des had a great year he was a red shirt freshman now I'm a red shirt freshman and I'm gonna go do what he did and I'm gonna beat him out like I had no problem with any of that uh Hard to see anybody but Mike Warren being RB number one. Jared yeah, Dokes, Jared, Jared a, Dokes will be I healthy. Think that, I think that's one you can use a marker for. Yeah. I think after what we saw in 2018, Mike Warren has earned being RB1. Um, behind him? Oh, buddy. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I tweeted this out, you know, maybe the day after, too. Counting Dez, because he's definitely a running threat, they return 2,800 yards rushing and 34 rushing touchdowns, and that doesn't even account for Jared Dokes. Or Ryan Montgomery. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, mean, you can say that if Ryan Montgomery, I mean, no, just counting Ryan Montgomery. But, I mean, when you got... 1,300 yards and 19 touchdowns returning. You got a quarterback that ran for over 500 yards and five touchdowns. And you got two true freshmen that both ran for over 500 yards and had five or six touchdowns. Ryan Montgomery better be Barry Sanders or he, there's no way he'd see in the field. Um, wide receiver one is going to be interesting. I, I don't, I'm going to make a bold statement. Okay. I don't, I don't think wide receiver one is on the roster right now. You might not be wrong about that. I think... I have a feeling... I have a suspicion based on some things that they're kind of like they did with Tavion Thomas and Leonard Taylor, that wide receiver one is the Grand Slam target of the February, whatever it is, 6th, 4th signing day. That's clearly the focus. I think that's the biggest need. Um, So, yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. I just, I don't, I don't see, I mean, I, and I'm not saying that in a disparaging way to anybody currently on the roster. I just don't see those guys as that role. Like, I see some, some solid twos, and I see some really good slot guys, but I don't see that Khalil Lewis, Armand Ben, Yeah, I know what you're Chris saying. Chris Moore type person currently on the roster. Here's a question. Do you at least try either Rashad Madaris or Sean Jackson outside? Yeah, absolutely. I would try them both. Yeah. I mean, because I think that's what the spring is. That's what spring and summer is for. Those two are I mean, too good. Two of your, to not have if both if of them. They're on the two field. of your. If they're two of your three best receivers. Figure it out. Like, I don't mean I'm not going to try to derail the conversation to the Bengals, but this is one of my biggest gripes with the Bengals. Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard are two of your best offensive players, and their offensive coordinator couldn't figure out how to use them both at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I think I Thomas... Think, uh, Rashad Medeiros and Jason Jackson are easily two of their three best receivers currently on the roster. Figure it out. 
Yeah. Uh, I think Thomas Geddes slots in there at one of those spots. Medeiros at one of those spots. The third one is open. Trent Cloud obviously stepped up. Uh, Javon Hawes, both of those guys are going to be going into their third year. Uh, Malik Mudge is a guy that they seem to trust more as the season went on. We saw Yanez Rogers um, getting more and more reps, although it didn't play out in the bowl game. Uh, we saw him getting more and more reps, especially in those early bowl practices uh, where they were getting a look at next year. Um, I thought Jaron Rollins started to come on as the season went on. Um, if if Dez throws a good ball in the first quarter on that first drive, uh, touchdown. Rollins yeah. has a long touchdown. Um, I'd love well, to I see the light he, come on for him. I think he's developed two. I mean, obviously you want to see him expand that, but he's he's definitely gonna he definitely plays a lot because he's in on that when they go run heavy, but they stick with two wide receivers. I think it's gonna be him and Mudge who's gonna replace Khalil in that in that formation of the run heavy wide receiver blocking package. So I mean But you'd like to see him expand on that to where it's more of a threat to throw the ball went to him when they're in there, when he's in there. Yep. Before we, uh, we, well, we'll get through offense and then I'll, um, Josiah DeGuar at tight end. I think that's a given, um, ton of depth in that room as well. Um, the, the, the battle for the number two spot, uh, Bruno LaBelle obviously, uh, is, is a great inline guy. Uh, I think Will Huber is a very strong inline guy. And then it's going to be time for Leonard Taylor and, and Josh Wiley to, to be unleashed. And I think you're going to see Wiley out in the formation uh, as a jumbo-type wide receiver a lot. I, I, would, I, I hope so because, like, I think that's the best way for him to make an impact next year. Um. Because I just I think Degara is a very 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 good college tight end. He fits exactly what they want to do, and I think you have the two other guys that are more of the inline blocking type of tight end, and then you have Leonard Taylor, who is kind of more in the Josiah Degara category. So I think your mismatch is Wiley outside. You know, is Wiley in two tight end formations where he's the second tight end? Maybe you go power and you put a blocking tight end and then you put him. So maybe the defense thinks it's a heavy run play, but then Wiley just flies down the seam or something like that. I think, yeah, that's something I'm interested to see how they use him in the spring because that's that's your time for experimentation. That's your time for, you know, position changes and lineup changes and formation, you know, stuff like that. They used him split out wide a lot in the bowl practices and as he was was coming back from his injury. He was in that position a lot. So uh, I think we can look for him to be kind of used in that role um, in his what is his redshirt freshman season. Offensive line. Uh, I am going to assume that Chris Ferguson is back. Everything points to that being the case. Uh, I am going to assume he is back. For the time being, uh, because we don't know about James Hudson, um, I'm going to best-case scenario that Hudson gets a waiver. That puts him at left tackle, Ferguson at right tackle, Morgan James returns at right guard. (coughs) Excuse me. Jakari Robinson at center. (coughs) And then left guard would be a hell of a position battle because there's going to be three, four guys. battle, Battle Royale. There's going to be three or four guys, Cooper, Woodside, McConnell, uh, Byzinski. Um, there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to that are going to want to lay claim to that left guard spot if that's how it plays out. Um, let's say hypothetically, though, Hudson doesn't get the waiver. I think the most likely, and, and there's a million options here as well, I think the most likely thing is you try Ferguson at left tackle and you slide in Darius Harper or Blake Yeager at right tackle. You let those two battle it out for the right side. That's that's where I would think that 
they would go. But, you know. The question is, Some, is Lorenz Metz ready? Because if he's ready and you put him in at left tackle and he can actually man the position, you don't have to worry about left tackle for four years. I, I don't – how do I say this? I don't think it's not that I don't think he'd be ready. I just I have a hard time envisioning that he would be your best option at this point. I'm telling you, he has come a very long way. I I I I tend to agree with you, but we are also seven more months of development from the start of camp. Oh, absolutely. I mean, last year. During practice, I was concerned that the quarterback would have any time to throw the ball. Right, the offensive line didn't look. The offensive line didn't look anything like it looked in August of what it looked in April. So, you know, and that's another area where we could see a, a grad, grad transfer, transfer yeah. if they go through spring practice. And they're like, man, we like these guys, but we're just not sure yet. You know, it's definitely an area where I feel like offensive line, you know, maybe defensive line if the right person became available, and then wide receiver, probably your three areas where you may, you know, look into a grad transfer. Yeah, there's that's going to be fun in the spring because there's, there's a lot of shuffling that's going to be done. Um, those first six bowl practices, they looked at a million different possibilities. And I think the spring is going to be the same way. I don't think you need to settle on anything in the spring through no, any of those 15 ab- practices. Absolutely not. You get unless as much someone, tape. Yeah. Unless someone just separates themselves, sure. But, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it would be hard to separate yourself because they're going to be trying so many different combinations to try to figure out who might be the best one that it's hard to get enough reps to like be that much better than, than the competition. That, and I just, I can't remember a time when that room had as much talent as it does now. You got to go back. A lot of big, big, a lot of big dudes in that room. And there's 10, 11 guys that are going to have, their eyes set on being on the field regularly in 2019 uh, when we come into the spring and and watching them battle it out is going to be a good time. It's going to be a very good time. Uh, Before we get to defense, would like to remind you of Trace Pountas Coffee. They sell fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans they ship has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know your coffee is fresh. There is a battle in the Brendel household over the bi-weekly shipment of Trace Pountas coffee. My stepmom, my mother-in-law, my stepbrother uh, tried some on Christmas, and now he is wanting to get in on the mix. Uh, I am going to have to eventually tell a couple of them that they're going to have to stop stealing my coffee because I don't have enough to go around, and they're going to have to go to Trace Pountas and they're going to have to place their coffee subscription of their own. Uh, I think my mother-in-law drank an entire bag in like four days, five days. And was like, that's some of the best coffee I've ever had. Uh, when do I get more? I was like, well, you're going to have to get in line. Because the word of this coffee is spread around my family. And now everybody is fighting over it. They're freshly roasted coffee beans. That's what tastes the best. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that's been freshly roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All the coffee you find in your grocery store and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. How do you get it, you ask? You go to www.trespontas.com slash coffee. That's trespontas.com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. They offer K-cups as well as 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You choose between light, medium, dark, and French roasts. Shipping is free on all orders, and if you enter the term Bearcats at checkout, you will get 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription as well. So go to TracePoundTouse.com, get your coffee, get your subscription set up, 
enter Bearcats at checkout. You get free shipping and 20% off. All right, Dave, defense. Defensive end. Yeah. Strong side defensive end. Right now, I'd say that's between Malik Van and MyJ Sanders. Um, if I had to guess in the spring, we will see Van playing some inside. I, I just, would agree. I, I Sanders, when they moved him to that strong side defensive end spot, it was like the culmination of everything that I've heard they wanted in that spot taking the field. Big, long, athletic, powerful, just a, a, a prototype for what you want at a strong side defensive end. Um, not that I think Malik Van is not ready for that position or not good enough at that position. I just think Sanders has potential to be a monster. And I think Van, with his size and with his, his quickness, is better suited on the interior. I think they need a little bit more depth on the interior. I like Curtis Brooks and Marcus Brown. Um, I think those two are going to be solid, very strong. Uh, but I think the depth behind that, um, I think Van goes inside. Uh, the second half of the year, we saw Elijah Ponder play a lot at that strong side defensive end as well. Uh, after spending the early part of the year at tackle. I think some of that was to get him on the field. Um, but it, it just to me, it makes sense to see Van move inside uh, and, and provide that rotation with Brooks and Brown and Van. And, and you find one other guy that works in there with that group. Uh, so you have four guys. Look, at tackle, they're not going to be as good as they were this year. Well, and that's the thing is that they're going to be different, too. Yeah. You, you don't typically – have two defensive tackles that can play the run and also be your best pass rusher. Right. <laughs> so with Brooks and Brown, you now have your typical 300 to 320 pound hole clogging defensive tackles where with Copeland and Broughton, you had your more 280 to 295 good against the run, but gave you something in, against the pass that most defensive tackles don't give you, and that's where I feel like Malik steps in in your passing situation, can be a, your, your three-technique defensive tackle that can rush the passer. And he also would fit in a lot of those, you know, when they go nickel or they, they, they change up a look, they'll go three defensive linemen. And they'll have they you know they'd have a tackle at one of the defensive right. end spots basically. That's a great spot for Malik as well. Yeah, you want your three even though you're, you're going three defensive linemen, you still want good good pass rushers there. Um, so yeah, I would de I could definitely see that. And then at the jack spot, um, and I I'll, I'll expand. I had someone ask about uh, uh, Van today and the what what I thought of his freshman season. I thought he played behind Kamani Fitz, who had a phenomenal senior year. Like I know because he was rated high, everybody really you know expected him to come in and break out, and I, I thought he had a solid season. But he had a senior in front of him that had a fantastic, had the best year of his career in Cincinnati in Kamani Fitz. That that makes you yeah. a guy that's that's depth that rotates in that you know that's tough to to really be a, a stud in that situation because you're a rotation guy. You're not the, the first team guy. And I think yeah, he's a good. little out of position at that strong side defensive end, especially with his pass rushing abilities inside. You're a freshman defensive lineman in a pretty darn good defensive line group. Right. So um, the Jack position, uh, Michael Pitts and Ethan Tucky. Um, I think that rotation was really good this year. Tucky made a couple plays uh, in the military bowl. Uh, I thought Pitts was largely ineffective, but uh, I thought it was a bad day for the defensive line in general uh, against Virginia Tech's offensive line. Um, but I, I, I have no problem seeing Pitts uh, being the number one there and, and Tucky being the rotation guy that gives you speed and uh, the ability to play in space and cover tight ends and things like that from, from a stand-up defensive end spot. Uh, I think they're in, in really good shape there. Um, I, I think the biggest question at linebacker, uh, one, 
how fast is Perry Young back to 100% um, after a torn ACL? I, I kind of joked he was on the sidelines uh, at the Military Bowl. I kind of joked because of how Perry is that if they were going to suit him up today, um, <laughs> three month, two months after or, uh, a knee injury. But I, probably would have tried. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll see him in the spring, but I think there's a pretty good no. chance that there's no there's no, there's no point. To. I think we'll see him off to the side and and you know trying to get back, uh, trying to stay in shape and get back. But I think there's a pretty good chance that by the start of camp they're easing him back in. I would think that's that's realistic with the way you know that injury goes these days. Doesn't sound like it was any thing too severe for that type of injury so the question yeah, then eight if, if you put him in at, at one outside linebacker at the, the 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 strong side outside linebacker or the weak side outside linebacker excuse me um brian right in the middle as a senior uh, that's pretty much a no-brainer what do you do with the sniper is it jarrell white um who started the year there then moved over uh when perry got hurt and played the weak side um, or do you look, you know, do you see what you've got with Alec Pierce, um, who is moving over into that sniper position? Um, there's a lot, you know, there's not a lot of, do you go with RJ Potts, who I think is probably more of a weak side than a guy that can play out in space. Um, but it's going to be very interesting, especially in the spring, because you have to think in the spring, Jarrell White is at the will. Um, yeah. as long as his injury was okay, um, and he's, he's yeah. going to go in the spring. I don't have word on that yet, but you, you think he's over in that spot where Perry was in the spring. So they're going to get a lot of looks at, at different guys at that sniper spot, uh, through those 15 practices. That's going to be one of the spots. Uh, we will definitely, along with wide receiver, uh, what they do along the defensive line, um, and, and the constant rotation on the offensive line, that sniper spot is one I'm going to have to keep a close eye on throughout spring practice. They, they, you know, it's just when I look at spring practice and they might tell me I'm out of my mind if you or I ever brought this up, but I, I still look at a guy like Javon Hicks as a possibility for that, that role too. Yeah. I think the problem there is you're just thin at safety. Yeah. You have Marquis Smith and TJ Johnson, and then your freshman basically is, is where where you're at at safety. So, no, yeah. I totally understand that. I just it, he seems to fit like what they're trying to do there when moving Malik down. Yeah, and then you have another guy that's kind of that. Yeah, I think he's probably even bigger than Malik is now. Um, it close, if not. So, yeah, one of those type of situations. But, yeah, that would be an interesting position for sure. Uh, one thing you could do is you could maybe put a corner at safety because um, that room is going to be ridiculous. Uh, Kobe Bryant is going to be your number one. Um, it'll be interesting. I think Cam Jeffries and Arquan Bush will battle for number two with the other one going in the slot. Um, personal opinion. I think that one's – I think it's, I don't think there's much of a battle there. Arquan Bush is an outside guy. Cam Jeffries is a slot guy. I think that's fair, uh, and I think Arquan Bush showed throughout the season that that he's ready to go. Uh, when he got a look, he was ready to go, and boy, you might have to go back to Mickens and and D'Lo to find two better outside corners than Kobe Bryant and Arquan Bush in Cincinnati football. That's, that's yeah, a strong duo. I mean. It's a lot to say at this point. You're gonna have a a red, you know, a red shirt freshman and a red shirt sophomore. Um, True junior. Compare them to those to those two. Who's a Kobe will be a junior. Yeah, he played special teams his freshman year, so he didn't red shirt. Uh, that's right. Um, um, and then you'll you have compare them to those two guys, but uh, I'm I, not I'll saying they're right as good now, as those just, two guys. I'm saying they could be the best since those two guys. Oh yeah. But, I mean, I'll tell you right now, Justin Harris is going to play. So, I don't know where yet, but he's going to play. And they're very, very high on Ahmad Gardner. And you've still got Noah Hamlin, who's battled for time there. Hamlin would be one I would be interested to see if he could play safety. Yeah. But, 
that's what spring is for. And then safety, you're set <laughs> as far as the first two guys. Wiggins and Forrest both had fantastic seasons. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's hard to believe. I bet if we go back to this podcast a year ago in the secondary, we were going, oh, boy. Well, I know exactly what we were saying because I probably said it 50 times. Can't be worse. Not one player, not no, not one player that was projected in the two deep of the secondary had played a single snap at either UC or at the position they were projected at coming into the season. And it was the strength of the team. Cam Jeffries came in from Bowling Green, so he had never played a single snap at UC. And Tyro Gilbert was changing positions. Other than that, no one else in the secondary had played a single snap of defensive football. And for the vast, vast majority of the season, they were in the top three in pass defense efficiency. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It really is remarkable what the back end of the defense was able to do. And a lot of the times, the stuff that went wrong, I didn't even blame on them, Dave. It was just a matter of teams had figured out the only chance we have to move the ball is to chuck it deep and, and have 50-50 plays. Yeah, we're either going to catch it, they're going to knock it down, and we're going to get pass interference. That was SMU's entire game plan in the second half. Hell, Temple. to work. Temple, same way. <laughs> Temple did the same stuff. And, I, I mean, you know, you're putting those guys – and for me, man, so refreshing to see man coverage as much oh, as we yeah. saw man coverage this year. I just like seeing press coverage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there was no more sitting back in zone to hide deficiencies. No. It was, we're coming at you. And, and it was because of the talent of those guys that were back there. And, I mean, it, it, it's just hard to fathom that that room, that those two rooms went from we have no idea what to think, what to expect, to, my God, they're good. And that happened a lot this year on the way to 11-2, and two, my brother. Well, and I think, you know, for your coaching staff, when you have, when you have confidence in your back end, it just opens up so much more for what you can call. Right. And – you know, you can't call anything exotic or risky when you don't think you have anybody that can cover. Because if your blitz or your whatever your pressure doesn't get there, you got guys running twenty yards free wide open. So, you know, when you have confidence in those guys, then it just allows you to do so many more things. And and there's going to be more confidence next year than there was this year. Well, yeah, because now you know they can do it. Right. And you're probably going to need them to do it because you're less experienced and you're less sure of what you have on your defensive line. Right. So at first, you're probably not going to, you know, pressure and blitz a lot because, you know, you want to make sure, you want to see what you have in your defensive line first. You know, knowing full well that if you need to do that, your back end can can cover for you, so to speak. One last thought before we get out of here. We need to, We have to mention, though, we cannot skip out on the fact that all specialists are returning, too. Yeah, you're going to have a competition at, at kicker. You've got one of the best punters in the country. Yeah, I mean... This roster's loaded. I feel like that's the next thing I want. You know, if we're looking big picture, that's the next thing I want to see. I want to see more explosiveness out of the special teams. That could be Trey Tucker. Yeah, very well could be. I mean, that's, you know, I, I just feel like that's an area that we're still kind of searching. Not so much punt, because anymore in college, nobody returns punts anymore. It's a fair catch or it's a rugby kick that you can't even handle, you know. But on the kickoff, you know, 
not very many college kickers. I mean, some are, but the majority of kicks are returnable. There's a lot of that fair catch stuff going on now, but I would like to see more of a threat, more of an, not an emphasis. I know they're emphasizing it, but you know, try was, to figure out a way to be more more explosive on kickoff. It was big for Virginia Tech. They had a couple of them. Oh, yeah, a 50, 50 yarder and Ty, Tyrone Wheatley's son. Is that was that his son? Yeah. Somebody asked me that. I was like, I don't know. Um, the the one thing I want to say also, this I know Luke Fickle gets a ton of the credit and rightfully so. We thought this when he got hired and and started assembling the staff, and and I think they made two massive upgrades this off season with um, Mike Mickens and, and Stripling. It's a hell of a coaching staff, and and especially offensively, the the moves that they made, getting Phillips in the running back room, Geno with the quarterbacks, Denbrock with the tight ends, uh, which has been his specialty. Ron Crook is amazing. Stripling is amazing. Um, Marcus Freeman, very very good. Uh, not only as a linebacker coach, but he's been excellent as a defensive coordinator. Uh, and then Mickens and Tenuta in the secondary. Brian Mason with special teams. This is for for the G five, and not having a million and a half dollars to spend on one coordinator, uh, like some other places do. Um, this is as good as you're going to get for a coaching staff at the level that Cincinnati's at. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, I feel like probably, in my opinion, the biggest move, and you know, it, I think it, he deserves credit as well. Is, is Mike Denbrock sliding over to tight ends from quarterbacks and bringing Geno in? I feel like just, I think that's going to be a big help, especially moving forward now that you have a year under your belt yeah. with two pretty talented guys. Um, you know, and we were talking earlier, you know, I'm, I'm already kind of surprised that we haven't heard more possibilities of, you know, some of the coaches being picked at from, from, you know, yeah, a lot of that stuff tends to happen after the second signing day. Um, right. I mean, like, I won't even call them bigger programs because I don't. I think that's silly. But I would say higher budgeted programs. Yeah. Um, it's just you know, you go eleven and two at a G five school, and you keep all of your staff intact for the next year. That would I mean that would be pretty remarkable. It wouldn't. It would be unexpected. it it would be unexpected But again like we talked about with schools coming after luke let's just use marcus freeman as an example because he i feel like it's not a secret he's probably the most likely you know he's been a coordinator (laughs) in the big 10 he is young he just ran a top 10 defense he just ran a top 10 defense so it would not be a surprise if he left guess what if someone hires him there will be I mean, conservatively speaking, how many phone calls do you think Luke gets within the first couple of days from guys wanting to talk about having that job? Yeah. Knowing what they bring back, knowing, you know, the type of offense that they're going to have to help a defense out. Like, I mean, obviously you don't want any of your coaches to leave. But again, that's part of the deal. And you just want, you know, to be in a situation where you can bring in another Really good coach. Absolutely. All right, man. That's a that's a wrap on 2018 Cincinnati Bearcats. It's, yeah. a, hell of a, it's um, a hell of a ride. Yeah, it's a lot more fun talking about that than you know wrapping up four and eights and you know it's it was quite a deviation from you know our conversations and podcasts. Four or five months ago, talking about well, if they can you know steal this game against so and so and get to six and six, it'd be real nice to you know kind of take that next step to uh, you know to get to a bowl game. Yeah, kind of blew that out of the water. <laughs> I don't mind looking stupid in that situation. No, and, and that's you know, and it's it's great, but I, I you know not to get too far ahead, but you look at next year's schedule, it's a pretty awesome schedule. And they might have a worse record and be a better team. Right. 
just because they're I feel like they're playing a really good schedule. There's you know, real non conference games. There's no Austin P or Tennessee State and you know, you're gonna we gotta get one against Temple, feel like we haven't beaten them in forever. You get UCF at home and you probably play at what will probably be the two two of the three best teams on the on in the west side of the league. So I mean that's a that's a legit legit schedule. So they might be, you know, eight and four, nine and three, but be a much better team than they yeah. even were this year. Well, thanks to a uh, a fantastic senior class, it, it's been a blast getting to know those guys and covering those guys, and, and I will definitely miss not having them around. But onward and upward, and, and 2019 so the, so the, is the question. The question becomes: Is this my final my final uh, podcast for a while, or are you and Berg going to invite me on to make fun of some terrible AAC basketball? Yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm probably putting you on the shelf until at least the second signing day. Um, I don't have any. I don't really have anybody to to really really make fun of now. Though my I best know. friend is gone. Look, I we, we you, your arm is tired. You threw a lot of pitches in uh, the the final four months of 2018. Uh, I want I want you fresh for when we get to the spring. So I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm making a doctor's call and I'm gonna shut you down for a couple weeks. I, I understand. <laughs> are you I gonna, understand. Are you gonna transfer? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I'm not uh, gonna transfer. The uh, you know, the talent is too good here. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't need to uh, to go to another. Another place to get more PT, that's for sure. How many shots did you hammer during the bowl game? How many jello shots? Did uh, you have I, jello shots? I was working. Oh. I, I was working. We, we we did not have New Year's Eve off, so I was at my desk watching on my phone, um, you know, trying to make it look like I was doing work. Did, did you see my but ugly no, mug was, show up on the TV like five times? I I did. I did. I saw that. Um, the, the the unfortunate part was the the ESPN app feed was extremely behind actual game action. So at the end, when it started to get you know close and down to the to the wire, I was trying to figure out a way to listen to Dan and Jim, but still watch. And that's not as easy as you would hope. And so I was kind of like constantly flipping back and forth between radio on my phone and the video. But uh, yes, unfortunately, it was uh, it was a work day, so there were no Jello shots in the office. Although there were only about, I feel like there's only about eight of us there. I'm not sure anybody would have even noticed. <laughs> oh, that's great! All right, man. Well, great job this season, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. I might let you on a basketball podcast at some point. We'll see. But that it seems dangerous. It just seems seems risky. Well, hey. <laughs> you know, what can you do? You, All never, right, man. you never know. Exactly. You never know. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. We'll see you next time, probably with Justin Berg until this is the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>